there was a moment where through this pandemic, I got re-inspired to think again. It made me get off the treadmill of exactness and repetition and find a different path. It made me start thinking again. From this ugliness, from this brokenness, I'm feeling a way to heal and heal stronger, like any bone that comes back. So I see this as an opportunity. Welcome to Arts Engines. I'm your host, Aaron Dworkin, and today's guest is Francisco Nunez, who is both the founder and artistic director of the Young People's Chorus of New York City. Francisco, welcome to the show. Thank you, Aaron. Very excited to be here. Congratulations. It's a great show. <laughs> oh, thanks. Thanks so much. And it's so wonderful that you're able to be on. Uh, you know, I have just been a, a huge fan of your work and the impact that your programming has and your artistic impact has just been uh, huge and, of course, honored in many ways. Our viewers can check out your whole bio and all that. Uh, but being a MacArthur Fellow is only the beginning of the uh, immense accolades uh, and really a tribute to your extraordinary work. Um, so, you know, I thought I'd kind of delve right in to uh, this question that I know a lot of our viewers face, who a lot of, you know, of young people come up, they're, uh, you know, a musician, they, uh, you know, are a vocalist, they, they want to do something artistically, but then they realize that they also may have an, art, an administrative interest, or they want to follow in your steps and be an entrepreneur. You kind of fulfill all of these roles, right? A composer, a conductor, but now also an arts entrepreneur and arts administrator. How do you balance those different parts of your life and what guidance would you share to those who are trying to figure out how to build that balance? It's interesting. Uh, when, when you're working in today's musical world, you know, you, you have a dream you know, when you first start out to be like the greatest musician, the greatest artist out there. And then something happens. I, I feel like every once in a while, you're like a rocket, you know, just going and, and some asteroid comes and hits you and then it propels you to a different path. That's kind of what happened to me. Uh, growing up in the New York City, I call it Washington Heights. It was in the 60s and 70s of New York. It was a very different place. I grew up in a, in a, in, in a part of New York that was, uh, that was challenging uh, to to be in. So the one thing that allowed me to to stay safe was music. And my mother wanted always for the arts to be part of our lives. Didn't matter how much money we made, it was just about the arts. So we bought a piano, got a Salvation Army, and I started to practice. I thought from early on, I'm going to be a pianist, the greatest Dominican pianist out there. Something happened. I met children in a classroom. This was my last semester at NYU, I was about to graduate, piano performance and business. So I always knew business was involved in my life. And when I noticed what music did, not only for me, but for other children, and I worked in a place, uh, it's called Third Street Music School, I was doing some student teaching there, down on 11th Street, and I was working with the Mouse program, where they would bring children from the Lower East Side. I said, I wonder what happened if we took the children in the Lower East Side and put them together 
with the children that were in the after-school program. Um, I wasn't able to really do it there because I wasn't a full-time person. So I went ahead and did it at an organization called Children's Aid Society. And for one summer, I brought these two groups together. That allowed me to see right off, music is definitely a path, but you, in order to be a great musician, you have to be able to do so many other things. So my business skills, my writing skills, my people skills, they all had to come into play so that I could inspire the community around me and more importantly, convince them to allow me to work with their children. So entrepreneurship for me is really understanding every part of a community, using your assets, the great assets of the children, the great assets of yourself and of the community and figuring out what the vision is. Then from there, you'll be able to bring it all together. Musicians in music school always teach you how to educate, how to do classroom management. But I believe knowing how to write, knowing how to present, knowing how to go into meetings and meet others and give that very quick 15 second speech is just as important because fundraising is a very big aspect of everything we do as musicians. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, and you're doing it at such an extraordinary level. Um, and so nowadays too, for you, the balance, do you find that there's, uh, you know, kind of a, a, a conflict between the administrative things you have to do or fundraising especially versus what you're able to do artistically? Or how do you, do you find that those are in conflict at all? I cannot do one without the other. One thought was to teach all day long, say do private lessons. So when I was 14 years old, I had my own piano studio in Washington Heights. So I would bring people into my apartment and I would give them lessons. And I, would, I was learning how to build a business very early on. Then I became the organist at my church. I was the youngest organist in the Archdiocese of New York City. I had a choir at the age of 15, and I had um, the organ that I had to play, and I had to get the whole congregation singing along every Sunday, three times a day. What I noticed was the music that I had was not as outgoing. So I had to start composing music in order to get the audience as on the congregation, as well as the choir singing. And then I had to create what's called the passion place. So I started to write because out of necessity. What I learned is that I actually enjoyed working with the people. I enjoyed writing the music. I enjoyed teaching. So for me, if I were to do just any one of those all day long, I would not be as successful. My brain needs me to do all of it. And that's what I look for. So I look for balance. I cannot do one thing all day long. I must move on and on and on. I think a lot of musicians feel the exact same way. You got to do it all. Totally, totally. So what about um, the power of chorus? So in other words, why chorus rather than group piano? Or, you know, when you look to say, here's where I feel I can make this impact. Is there something about the nature of chorus that um, you feel uh, has a really strong impact? If I were, if I grew up with my family playing soccer, I do what I do right now doing soccer. If I grew up in my family playing violin, I would do what I'm doing, playing, teaching violin. I, YPC is not about music only. YPC is about bringing community together, bringing the rich and the poor, the black, the white, the Hispanic, the Jewish, the Christian, everyone together, because it's what changed my life. 
the instrument, so to speak, that I use is the voice because is the one that I learned early on. I happen to be lucky enough to be born with a gift to teach. That's God given. Um, the rest of it I had to learn. That we do what we do. Sometimes we don't know why we do it. We just do it because somebody leads you. Right now, my family led me into what I am today. And I had a lot of, of energy to want to change the world. For me, it was about facing poverty. Growing up poor is not fun. And I wanted to know how is it you can get out of being poor. And not just that, my father being a black man, I'm saying, how is it that a white-skinned young man with a mulatto mother and a black father go around New York City and gain respect? And for me, I needed to figure out how do we stop this thing that we call racism? I didn't know what the word was back then. I'm very aware of it today. But back then, I just know they didn't like my dad. And my mother, everybody thought she was just a, the cleaning woman that would take me around. So for me, YPC, the chorus, the voice is just a way of reaching out to communities. I was a pianist. So why don't I do piano? I don't actually know the reason. It's a very hard question for me to answer. Why end up with voice? I think it was the inspiration when I found a teacher that was using the voice as an instrument to teach that inspired me. And I said, I want to learn to do that. And that's where it came from. Awesome. So, you know, you mentioned these aspects of, of race and, and especially growing up, kind of beginning to understand about racism. Of course, this is, you know, such a huge issue today. Um, so I was wondering if you could speak to that as it relates to the arts. And by this, what I mean is kind of a twofold thing. What role can the arts play as it relates to the racial issues in our society? And what, if any, role can race play to help empower the arts? Just curious how you think about the intersection of arts and race. For me, when you're an individual artist, you have a very different responsibility than when you are leading an organization with a mission. So as an individual, you can make decisions for yourself and decide, I will have these people like me or not like me based on what I'm going to do, but I'm going to believe in what I am. But once you start creating an organization that represents something with a mission, there's no longer you, it is we. YPC was born out of the idea of diversity. Diversity is bringing all kinds of children. Not just that, the word children is involved. So when you have children, of which the majority of my young people are elementary, middle school, young people, we have 2,000 children in our program every year. I don't know how many have gone through the program, maybe over 20,000 at this point. They're very young. So their voice is their family's voice. When they become teenagers, they start to have more of a voice. And what they do is they really don't know if they can go and protest, can they go and march. It really is a family situation still. My alumni, they're able to do it because they're out of the homes, they're out of colleges, wherever they are, and they're doing what they're doing. Back to children in the arts. When we see what an art organization can do, it is the voice of these young people. So the young people say, I'm listening to what's happening in the world. How do I become involved? How do I allow my family to become involved? It's not just a young person that's involved. 
the whole family is there listening and watching you. And are you going to now infiltrate their brains and their minds and, and brainwash them into something? So that all comes into play in understanding where society is and what kind of thought comes in through the door when you just want to sing and different kinds of people come through the door, those that vote one way and those that vote another way. Bringing them into this door, we now start the conversation. We sing. Singing has words. And through those words, we are able to say things, whether it be bridge over troubled water. So is that enough? Or do you sing that while you show the portrait of these beautiful children looking at each other and smiling as they say it to each other. And then when you commission a composer, do you just accept what they give you or do you help them to understand what the children are saying? Over the years, children have wanted so badly to change the world the way I wanted to change the world when I was a young child. The way we do it is through the song, through the words. And the arts is a way to bring all these people together and collectively create a community. Individually, it's very different than collectively. I think it gives them a voice and allows them to understand. So maybe they're not gonna agree with every single thing that happens every single time because it's a different feeling for you to sing this song than it is for someone else to sing that song we will have a conversation. So at YPC, there's a lot of dialogue. We're talking all the time. We're bringing the composers into the room and asking them not only thank you for the song, why should you write this song? We're actually asking them to write it with our perspective in it, the perspective of a child in an urban environment who is right next to a child that's completely different than them. So how does a composer make that decision? Everybody involved needs to be fully involved. We've been very lucky. Uh, so right now, after the pandemic hit us, we stopped, just stopped completely. We needed to go directly into a new world, a reimagined world, a digital world. I was not ready for it, but we learned very quickly. We took 600 of our children and went directly online with them and started teaching them, meeting them up to 20 hours a week after school. We had to, re we had to learn how to teach ourselves to teach them. Where was the music coming from? Because of the latency, because of Zoom, you can't talk at the same time. Forget about singing at the same time. So we needed to learn that whole thing. Also, what I learned is that when it comes to listening, when you go online, nobody wanted to hear anything very long. So I had to rediscover what kind of music to do. So we created a Heroes Project. We wanted to just sing songs to make the children feel good immediately. So Because it was completely alone. The social emotional feelings are completely is out the door. This homeschooling thing is, is just too much for the family and for the children. YPC became a place for them to come to. Started from talking first. So we went from fully singing to now just talking for a few weeks. And then eventually we learned to sing again. We created these movies, these films, of saying thank you to the heroes of New York City. I went from there and asked the transient glory composers, the composers I've worked with in the past who wrote new music for me so we can do the greatest, hardest music possible. Can you write a canon, a simple repetitive motion 
that we can sing that will be no longer than two minutes. So we asked 20 composers, and we had no money, by the way. I just started commissioning with zero money. I think, if I make money later on from a grant, I will pay you. And they said, no problem. These 20 composers wrote 20 masterworks. These pieces are still being recorded today, and we're going to bring them out as a virtual album. And we're working with this great artist that's going to create all these you know, background images. All this to say that the music became a way of not only helping our children socially, emotionally, it allowed them to create the artwork that they needed to show the world that they can make a difference. I think the one greatest piece of art that music gives is the art form of hope. For me, we're, I think we're a little lost right now in our society. And we need to find out who we really are. As great as we are, there's a lot of work to be done. And we know that. We've been not saying it for a long time because the storytellers, the storytellers had the louder voice. So now the other voices are starting to come up and the storytellers are quiet. And that's great. It's just such extraordinary, extraordinary work that you are doing. Um, and I know we're almost out of time, but I wanted to at least be able to get another question in. I'm sorry. Uh, man, so, yeah, no, no, it's awesome. You're awesome. Uh, there's, um, you know, the, what you are talking about to me sounds so much like this entrepreneurship, innovation. You're like, okay, pandemic's happening. How do we respond? How do we still fulfill our mission? So we have so many people who are watching our show who are either leading organizations or who are trying to find their own way through these things. Is there any kind of key theme or element you would leave them with that you would say, you know, this has helped me as I think about reshaping everything our organization does. Here's what has been helpful, has been a great resource or a way to think about these challenges. Anything you could kind of share that would help empower them? Well, there's two things. First, I can share a feeling. If I can say this, I've been teaching for 32 years with my group. And, you know, it's, it was getting, it's getting there for a long time. What was I going to do? Another commission, another this, another that. There was a moment where through this pandemic, I got re-inspired to think again. It made me get off the treadmill of exactness and repetition and find a different path. It made me start thinking again. From this ugliness, from this brokenness, I'm feeling a way to heal and heal stronger, like any bone that comes back. So. I see this as an opportunity. Another thing, I cannot reach, because of gentrification in New York City, the children who are living near me are of one class. So how do I reach the children that I want to reach? The majority of the children are on the outskirts of, uh, of, of New York City now. For them to come to my program, it could take up to an hour and a half to two hours by train each way, and that's in New York City. So now, because of this digital platform, I don't think I'm going to go back to just being live. I'm going to be live on TV. I call it a TV show every time I'm at my rehearsals. We have TV shows. I'm going to be on TV, and I'm going to be live with the children in the room. 
And not because we have to, because I want to. So that child who's now sick can't get on the subway or mother can't get out of, or doesn't have a job, can't bring them too many children at home. I am now going to be able to create a way to reach even more children, work with even more composers who are too far away because I'm going to force myself to get better technology in my space. Because now foundations notice that this is important. So there'll be more money out there. Believe me, there's going to be more money out there. There's going to be more innovation, more composers, more children. They're all going to come and we're going to teach more. So for me, it is actually an opportunity to look for a future that is more inclusive and allows for this area of brick and mortar to expand. So our buildings are going to become much more flexible. So I no longer see it. So I think my concert halls are going to have video cameras in there and they're going to have um, TV screens. Wow. That's what I'm looking forward to. This is truly extraordinary. And Francisco Nunez, you are absolutely one of the great arts engines that is powering human creativity in our field. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Aaron. I'm, I'm just beyond honored. You're just amazing. I love your affliction shirt. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.